You're listening to Wormcasts by Parabos, a podcast about worms, fluke, flies, lice, ticks and more. We go beyond the jargon into what really matters and how you can get on top of these costly problems. We'll help you get better production, improve animal welfare and help that bottom line. Hi, I'm Dr Susan Swanee. And I'm Ian Campbell. And welcome to Wormcasts. Today we're going to talk about integrated parasite management, which is really applicable because we've discussed it on and off through many of our previous podcasts. So you're going to get the whole nuts and bolts today. So it can mean all the difference to the future of your parasite population and how well you can control this costly disease in your flock or herd. It's equally applicable across all the grazing species and it's integral to how we manage and the development of resistance while maintaining a profitable grazing enterprise. A treatment will kill off a pest, but please do remember the rest. There are other things too that people can do, as a multi-pronged plan is the best. It says it all, and that's fantastic. So what do you mean by integrated parasite management, really? Well, to me, it sort of means all things other than just throwing the drench down the throat of the sheep or the cow or whatever it might be. How we manage to keep the worms at the lowest possible level on our farm other than just drenching and trying to reduce our reliance on chemicals. But uh, when I say that, when we do need to use them, we need to use them carefully and wisely and therefore reduce the development of resistance but still maintain all other productivity gains that we're trying to achieve. Well, that sounds good. What does integrated parasite management consist of? Well, we tend to call it IPM, so if we break into that terminology, you'll know what we're talking about. But the principles are around the right drench at the right time, grazing management, good nutrition, flock and weaner management, breeding for parasite-resistant sheep, or cattle for that matter, monitoring and testing and using any additional tools where they're available or, and appropriate. That sounds good. Can you perhaps talk about each of these in the order you've described them? So let's look at the right drench at the right time. Okay, so that's good. We'll talk about that. Um, so it's about knowing what drenches actually work on your place. And I've mentioned this before and I'll mention it again. I'm always horrified at how few farms have actually done a proper drench test or a a worm egg count reduction test. It's absolutely critical to know how each of those drench groups work on your particular farm and it's the only way that we really have to estimate this effectively. So once you know that and we know then we know what the right drench is and the right drench involves two components. One is sorry the right time involves two components. It's when you've done the worm egg count to see that you actually do need to do it and if you have a strategic plan, what's the best time to actually do that drench according to your strategic plan. For instance, if we're talking about first summer drenches, which is still the mainstay of a good worm program in southeastern Australia, then that is used to actually reduce the overall burden on your farm for the rest of the year. So it's really important to uh, think about strategic drenching when you are actually doing those drenches. 
Another factor is to remember to calibrate your drench gun. So how many times have you been told that? I'm sure it's many, but don't forget it. And try and remember to treat to the heaviest in the mob. So if there's too much variation in your mob, and particularly you'll find that with wieners, and you might be using a toxic chemical, say even levamazole and even abamectin. So in that situation, you really need to draft the mob up into weight groups before you start doing the drenching and then drench to the heaviest in those weight groups. Another factor I'd say is using a drench that you know is 98% efficient so if you in in virtually all situations we'd encourage you to be using combinations and if possible rotating those combinations so you're not always using the same chemical groups i think that's a good summary of drenching you've mentioned grazing management I, i would imagine that had a really important role yes it does and uh we need to try and think about producing safe pastures for the most susceptible classes of stock. And they're obviously the young, so particularly at weaning, and then the pregnant ewes and the lactating ewes. So they're, they're our vulnerable mobs, and, and particularly your twinners. So if you can have um, something that enables you to try and get those paddocks clean in order to uh, have clean paddocks for those susceptible groups and that's really valuable and that can be done by utilizing the timing of your drenches and strategic drenches to reduce the parasites in the sheep at the same time as the hotter weather for instance is reducing the parasite eggs and larvae on the pasture and you can use that to prepare for a lambing paddock or for managing weaner paddocks and um, the combination of that and sort of rotational grazing, such as um, in smart grazing, actually is um, a, the subject of a previous podcast, but it has, does help you develop paddocks that are specifically for, say, weaners over winter, and which is a critical time for them. But if we look at summer rainfall areas, we can do a similar thing at, to smart grazing, but it instead of relying on increased stocking rates and getting pastures down to really low levels so they're exposed to the environment, we rely on the cold winters where the maximum daily temperature is below 18 degrees C to prepare paddocks by keeping them worm-free over this time when we've got really low winters where we basically don't actually have to worry about the eggs that go onto the pasture from Barber's Pole because they're they're not going to successfully hatch out over that period of time. And then once the weather warms up again, we have to be much more attuned to what we're putting onto those pastures or have it specifically ready waiting for those um, stock that we want to put onto it, say, for, for lambing. So another way to clean up paddocks is utilising cross-grazing between sheep and cattle. And we know that the species of worms that affect sheep very rarely cross across to cattle um, and most and vice versa. So they're pretty host-specific. There's some obvious uh, exceptions to that and Barber's Pole is one of them. Uh, Fluke is another and trichaxii, which is not, uh, um, strongus axii is not a particularly common parasite, so it's not a big one. 
And uh, some of the other things we can do is we can utilise hay aftermath or newly sown paddocks. Um, early grazing of grain crops is really good and stubble. So all of these tend to be very low worm burden pastures and or feeds and we can utilise those by putting um, reasonably well-drenched uh, or well-drenched mobs onto the, those and particularly the susceptible ones so that we're giving them the benefit of um, a fairly worm-free environment. So basically what I'm saying is grazing management's a critical tool in reducing the reliance on long-acting products and keeping pastures clean for effective control of worms in, in lambs in particular. There's probably as many reasons for rotational grazing as there are farmers that practice it, but does it have a role in integrated parasite management? It does. Um, It allows us to spell paddocks compared to set stocking, and that really means that we have the opportunity to clean up paddocks with that, um, that decrease in pressure on on those paddocks compared to set stocking. And so we can um, reduce the worm burden in those susceptible classes of stock by giving them the cleaner paddocks. I think the next point you mentioned was nutrition. How important is nutrition? So nutrition is really important. We know that animals in good condition have much better immunity than those in poor condition. And it's actually vital for their ability to be able to reject worm larvae and also for their ability when they do have worms to slow down the egg production of those female worms in in the in the sheep so the important message with this is that animals in poorer condition score often actually warrant additional supplementation and it's not just for the fact that you'll increase conception rates or growth rates but you actually help to improve their immunity and therefore reduce the development of worm burdens, which in itself is going to lead to better production. We also know that stunted weaners are far more susceptible to parasites and use in condition score um, three or, or more tend to have offspring with lower worm burdens. Are there any particular uh, nutritional supplements that are better than others in terms of IPM? Well, I, I can't help but emphasise the role of protein. Immunity is actually really protein demanding and so as such, young animals on dry feed tend to be uh, on a fairly low protein diet and really they probably need some form of protein supplement to improve their immunity. And we know, for instance, there's good evidence that adult use, dry adult use, requires, say, 60 grams of protein per day, whereas um, if they're in late pregnancy, they require 90. And if when they're lactating, they actually require 200 grams of protein per day to get their best um, uh, immune response. But we even see benefits in very early lactation, up to 350 grams of protein per day in order to reduce worm burdens. So thankfully, we can actually practically achieve this by actually having lambing time at a time where we can be sure that the ewes are dropped onto that sort of green pasture, which is naturally high high, um, protein-rich pastures. So 
that fits in well with the periparturient relaxation of immunity, periparturient being that time around parturition or birth. So it's a bit before and it goes right into lactation where we see a massive increase in worm egg counts and it's associated with that demand of protein from the ewe. And the the last thing that the ewe does is actually look after its immunity. So it's really critical for them. Um, So another thing that's quite interesting is actually the role of dietary phosphorus in immunity and it appears that pastures with higher um, phosphorus tend to lead to less internal parasites and once again this tends to relate to the microorganisms in the rumen which require phosphorus and if they're compromised so too will the protein synthesis be compromised. Well another reason for spring lambing if you're not already convinced. You're listening to Wormcasts, a Parabos podcast, and we will now go into a short break after which we will look at the effects of flock and weaner management on parasite control. Lice infestations reduce fleece weight and downgrade wool quality, costing the sheep industry 81 million each year in treatment costs and loss production. Liceboss contains the latest information on lice and management, including Liceboss tools and Liceboss notes to help prevent new infestations, detect infestations through structured monitoring and eradicate infestations in short and long wool sheep and manage chemical residues in wool. Find out more at paraboss.com.au. If you have any questions you feel we can help you with, or if you'd like to share an experience you've had dealing with a specific parasite, or if you have a topic you'd like to discuss, please drop us a line on the email wormcasts at paraboss.com.au. You're listening to Wormcasts, brought to you by Paraboss. Hello again. We've been talking about integrated parasite management and how this helps reduce our dependence on drenches. Susan, how does flock and weaner management fit in with the IPMs? It's really important also. So uh, we know that the longer we lamb, the later we have to go until we can actually wean. It also means that when we choose to give that pre-lambing um, drench, for instance, it's going to be less timely for a large portion of the flock. If we've got all the flock nice and tight, then the timing's much closer to being perfect for all of them. If we have a a really big spread of lambing, then managing the offspring, we tend to have a greater tail and and we also have have to hang on to them for longer and that ends up meaning far more worms. So ideally, with a five-week joining, for example, we'd have a six-week lambing and that means we can actually wean the lambs around 12 to 14 weeks post-lambing, with the youngest being six to eight weeks. In this case, uh, we're going to reduce the used chance of passing the parasites onto the lambs. We take the lambs, we drench them, and we move them onto a nice, clean, prepared paddock, and the ewes with the lambs off them will rapidly reduce her worm egg output because she dries up and she's no longer lactating, so she doesn't have the periparturient rise finishes. So the overall farm contamination actually decreases and that's what we're aiming for. In the case of prime lambs, there's definite benefits of getting the lambs off the farm as soon as possible. So lambs I consider basically the worm factories of the farm and if you can remove them 
well before they start adding really high contamination, then that's going to be a major benefit for the next year's crop of lambs. What about breeding? There has been a lot of work going into this area. and I know a lot of studs actually provide uh, information to their buyers about ASBVs or Australian sheep breeding values for worm egg counts. Is there any true benefit in selecting for low ASBVs for worm egg count? So this is a tool that's allowed us to gradually, over a period of time, reduce our dependence on chemicals and decrease the number of drenches that are actually required in a flock in any one year. So selecting rams from studs that do concentrate on this feature and picking the ones with the low ASBVs for worm egg counts will actually help reduce your dependence on drenches over time. And, I mean, it probably depends a bit on where you are, but I would think typically you could hope to drop a drench per annum, say, every five to ten years if you're selecting specifically for resistance to parasites. You also mentioned monitoring and testing. Yes, if you don't measure, you don't know. It's absolutely critical to monitor worm egg counts and do this for a second summer drench, pre-lambing, every four to six weeks after weaning in your weaners. In lambs, if you think you're going to need to do a lamb marking drench, because I'm not a big fan of lamb marking drenches, but if you think that's necessary, then check your lambs prior to lamb marking. Not your ewes, actually make sure you get lamb faeces. And then we've got the drench check, and that's a really useful tool. It involves testing prior to drenching, and then again 10 to 14 days after drenching and allow you to work out the percentage of e- efficacy of that specific drench that you've just given. And it, uh, it's highly recommended for every quarantine drench too so that you know that you aren't bringing somebody else's parasites onto your property and that the drench you've given has been effective for that. So this is a good thing to do in between actually doing drench tests where you trying to assess the um, efficacy of all the drench groups and that should be done every two to three years. It's worth getting, I think, a vet or a very good advisor out to help you carry this out correctly so that you know that you get a meaningful result. I think you might have mentioned the use of other tools. What could these be? There's always new things on the horizon, but the ones that are out there right now include Barbavax, which is a vaccine against Barber's pollworm, and it's certainly been enormously useful for farmers who are struggling with drench resistance to Barber's pollworm. And uh, there's the nematophagus fungi, and the one in particular that's being u- used is Duddingtonia flagrans, which is being marketed as biowormer. And I think this is... Uh, its ability to entrap larval stages and therefore prevent pickup from pastures has been particularly useful in small flocks of sheep and especially in goats who are renowned for not responding particularly well to drenches. So I know it has been well utilised by, by these groups. As well as that, we've got some pasture species that we know are renowned for their high condensed tannin content and they can actually be used to help decrease the uptake of parasites. Interestingly, that actually works in two ways. One is a direct effect on the egg hatching or larval survival, and the other is by the condensed tannins binding with the proteins and preventing rumen microorganism degradation, and uh, thus the absorption in the abomasum. So 
if the uh, protein isn't absorbed in the abomasement going into the microbes, then it can actually go through, flow through into the abomasement and be absorbed there. This increases the protein in the diet and effectively actually increases the animal's immunity as well. So I'm sure there's lots of other things, some with good scientific background and others with less, but we do know that everything that we can do to decrease our reliance on drenches will help the long-term sustainability of drenches that we have available to us. So I guess that's part of looking at your farm and your production system and seeing what opportunities are there, see, see these things as an opportunity. Things like um, if you've got a lot of salt bush and you're giving browse rather than graze, that those things could all perhaps help contribute in that way, couldn't they? They do indeed. So could we sum this up then? I think the most important thing to do is to try and ensure that the drenches you use are firstly necessary and secondly effective. And to do this, you need to do some testing. So I think we also can consider the value of grazing management, flock management and good nutrition in order to maximise the animal's immunity and reduce our reliance on drenches. And the other thing we need to do long term is think about ram selection and breeds for resistance and resilience to, to parasites. Lastly, the icing on the cake has to be using pastures with high condensed tannins and, and seeing if you can find any other beneficial products that also might help reduce the reliance on drenches. That's been good. What tips and tools do you have for us from this podcast? So my number one is to do a drench test, and I've I've said it so many times during this podcast, I'm sure you're sick of hearing it, but all too often I've been asked in the past, what drench should I use? But that's absolutely impossible to answer unless you've done a drench test because we can't assume that what works on one person's farm will work on another. So the other thing is it's important to assume that the newer drenches are probably going to be more effective on your property than some of the old ones and it's a really good time to introduce them now. Don't wait till there's a problem with your old drenches first. And I guess uh, the take-home message is to be opportunistic and look at your whole production system and everything you do and say, well, what impact does this have on my parasites? And if I did it in a different way, could it possibly be better or might it even be worse? Next episode, we'll be looking at organic farming and what lessons we can learn from farmers who have chosen to go organic. Until next time, this is Wormcasts, giving you the power over parasites. You've been listening to Wormcasts, a podcast for Parabos, funded by Australian Wool Innovation, Meat and Livestock Australia and the University of New England. Parabos provides information in managing parasites and worms in sheep, goats and cattle. For more information, visit parabos.com.au.